0: Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Bellville. Good day,
3: tokers and tokens and not token lovers of liberty. It is Friday, January 29th, 2016. And it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It also has to be our last day of broadcasting here from beautiful legal potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios.
4: Yes, I
3: am moving, folks. I am uh, getting on the road with CannabisRadio.com. I'll probably be headquartered in Phoenix for a little while, but uh, most of my 2016 is going to be on the road. So I will be bringing you these shows from our mobile studio somewhere in the continental U.S. Just uh, keep listening and uh, we'll take you along for the big, long, strange trip it's going to be. Also, uh, in other news, uh, this week I had to resign my position as the head of Portland Normal. I'm one of the co-founders of Portland Normal, but uh, resigned because, well, I'm leaving Portland. I'm moving, and if I'm going to be on the road all year... It- doesn't really bode well for me running a nonprofit in Portland, Oregon. So, my good friend Scott Gordon is now acting executive director. He's uh, known as Herb Thrasher on the airwaves, and uh, I'm sure he and the rest of the board will be doing some great work here in the Rose City. I'll still be uh, helping him out and coordinating things and consulting and doing all I can to support them in the background. But uh, it's time for some other folks to take over and uh, continue this fight for the equalization of marijuana in Portland, Oregon. So good luck to the folks at Portland Normal. Check them out at PortlandNormal.org. Also, next week uh, on the schedule, uh, February 3rd and 4th, I will be at the Cannabis Collaborative Conference. It's an event here in Portland, Oregon at the Portland Expo Center. Marilee Burton had us out there uh, last year, and we're going out this year. We're really excited to get to meet uh, Cliff Robinson, the uh, former NBA player, played eight years with the Portland Trailblazers, who's now going by the name Uncle Spliffy. He's starting a cannabis business, and uh, he's become a big supporter and proponent of marijuana, medical marijuana, marijuana reform. Uh, Looking forward to meeting him next. uh, I guess that's Wednesday and Thursday. So we'll be coming to you live from the Cannabis Collaborative Conference, and then the following weekend, uh, the the uh, uh, Valentine's weekend, I will be in San Francisco at the International Cannabis Business Conference, getting a chance to meet Dr. Joycelyn Elders, the former Surgeon General, Andrew Sullivan, the popular conservative blogger, and Tommy Chong, and of course, you know who Tommy Chong is. Now, I left out the Cannabis Cup in San Bernardino on the 5th and 6th. I don't think I will be there now. Uh, still hope holding out hope that we get some, uh, sponsorship for a a plane ticket and hotel, but I don't think it's going to happen. So I'm afraid I'll miss y'all down there in San Bernardino, but coming up on today's show, what an amazing show for our last day at Rola J studios at half past. We're going to get into an extended interview with the Prince of pot himself. Mark Emery is calling into us from Canada. It's uh, my first time speaking to him live. And of course, uh, one of his, uh, many interviews he's been doing since he has been released from his five-year prison sentence in the United States of America for selling seeds. We'll talk to Mark at Half Past, so stay tuned for that. And then at four o'clock, we've got a special segment. Uh, We're just debuting it here on the show uh, where I am going to turn over the microphone to one of the activists out there who disagrees with me. And, and sometimes people get intimidated by me and they don't want to call in and they're afraid I'm going to talk over them or debate them or whatever. So starting at four o'clock or whenever he calls in after four o'clock, he's going to get eight in uninterrupted minutes. That's right. Eight straight minutes to convince you that you should vote against legalization in California for 2016. At least the legalization that's the Sean Parker Initiative. So, if you want to know why you should vote against legalization in California, that's coming up
1: at 4 o'clock.
0: Stick around. This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. Right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com.
0: It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, January 29,
3: 2016. Marijuana advocates hoping for a substantial shift in federal marijuana policy in the last year of the Obama administration are likely to be disappointed. President Obama told a recent retreat of House Democrats that marijuana reform is not on his list of -of end-of-term priorities, according to Representative Steve Cohen, a Democrat from Tennessee. Cohen said he asked the president whether he wanted to, quote, reschedule, end quote, marijuana from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2, which acknowledges the plant's medical potential. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders wants to remove marijuana from the federal list of controlled substances altogether. But Obama's answer on the rescheduling was disappointing, Cohen said in an interview, saying, quote, On marijuana, he gave me the same answer as when I asked him seven years ago. If you get me a bill and get it on my desk, I'll probably sign it. End quote, Cohen said. U.S. Senators Kirsten Gillibrand, Steve Daines, and Jeff Merkley, and U.S. Representatives Earl Blumenauer, Dina Titus, and Dana Rohrabacher led a bipartisan group of senators and representatives on a letter urging the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, or VA, to change its current policy to allow VA doctors to discuss and recommend marijuana as a treatment option in states where medical marijuana has been legalized. Quote, According to the current directive, VA providers are prohibited from completing forms seeking recommendations or opinions regarding a veteran's participation in a state-sanctioned marijuana program. We ask that you act to ensure that our veterans' access to care is not compromised and that doctors and patients are allowed to have honest discussions about treatment options, end quote. The letter was also signed by U.S. Senators Cory Booker, Barbara Boxer, Patty Murray, Brian Schatz, Tammy Baldwin, Michael Bennett, Ron Wyden, and Elizabeth Warren, and U.S. Representatives Joe Heck, Sam Farr, Jared Polis, Chelly Pingree, Steve Cohen, Justin Amash, and Mark Poken. The Judiciary Committee of the Vermont Senate has voted four to one to approve a bill that would legalize possession of up to an ounce of marijuana by people in Vermont who are 21 or older. Friday's vote came a day after six physicians' groups came out against the legislation, citing what they see as the ill health effects of marijuana. If it passes the full Senate, the bill would go to the House, where many doubt it will pass this year. The bill envisions marijuana being sold in special stores. It would continue the ban on home cultivation, requiring that the plant be grown in tightly controlled, secure plots. Committee Chairman Senator Richard Sears says the measure now goes to the Senate Finance Committee to decide how marijuana should be taxed. The Oregonian reports that Oregon's medical marijuana advocates say the state's proposed rules for production impose expensive and unnecessary burdens on growers and will ultimately harm patients who rely on the drug to cope with a wide range of health problems. The rules call for round-the-clock security and regular reports to the health authority about how many plants a grower has and where their harvests end up. The health authority also may inspect grow sites with more than a dozen plants or those selling marijuana to processors or dispensaries. Senator Floyd Przanski, a Democrat from Eugene and a staunch advocate of the state's medical marijuana program, blasted the health authority in an interview Thursday with the Oregonian, saying the agency has run amok, quote, the proposed rules are a direct assault on the medical marijuana program and the small family farm, end quote, said Przanski. The medical marijuana oil study going on at the University of Alabama at Birmingham is showing near across-the-board reductions in seizures for its patients. Dr. Jersey Savlarsky, head of the Division of Epilepsy at UAB and one of the principal investigators in the CBD oil study known as Carly's Law, said about 90% of patients in the study have seen some improvement – It's the first time UAB has discussed early results of the study, believed to be the nation's largest on CBD oil, that began last year. And those results appear dramatic, saying, quote, We have noticed at least 50% of the patients have more than 50% reduction in seizures, which is very nice. Some of these patients have multiple seizures per day. They report on CBD that they have days without seizures, which is great. End quote. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, January 29th, 2016.
6: Gondrepreneur.com. Helping Gondrepreneurs grow.
0: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
1: They're bringing drugs. They're
4: bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people.
0: Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long
5: time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact NORML at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML.
0: The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus.
3: Today in the Cannabis Focus, we look at my home state of Oregon, at least for the next few days, and how the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program is being impacted by new rules and regulations proposed by the Oregon Health Authority under some of the new laws that have been passed since legalization has taken place. And the thing that I really want to address here is how people in the medical marijuana community see legalization as the reason why things are changing. This happened with I-502 just north of us in Washington State, where as their legislature began to clamp down on a largely unregulated medical marijuana market, all of the medical most of the medical marijuana people complained, and they complained about I-502 passing, the recreational law passing, as being the reason why there were new restrictions and requirements on medical marijuana. The same script is replaying here in Oregon, where many medical marijuana proponents are complaining that because Measure 91 passed and legalized recreational marijuana, that's why the legislature is getting so uh, restrictive on medical marijuana. And I'm here to tell you, folks, once again... It's time to stop blaming the legalization of recreational marijuana for the regulation of medical marijuana. For years and years and years, the medical marijuana people told us they're two separate issues. Recreational and medical are two separate issues. But suddenly they're not two separate issues when they start getting restricted. Now they're all one big issue for some reason. And let me preface this by saying that I'm not for some of these changes that are happening. I think some of these changes are ridiculous. They're over regulation and they're just trying to, you know, uh, they're, they're using an ax when they need to use a scalpel. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're, 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 they're going way overboard on this. But if they're going overboard on this, the blame doesn't need to be pointed at legalizing recreational marijuana. The blame needs to be pointed at the excesses of medical marijuana that became so glaring they were impossible to further ignore. As I wrote in one of the comments on this, it's like, remember that headline that came out that said, Oregon's largest medical marijuana grow site serves 104 California patients? That's not what most people thought medical marijuana was for here in Oregon. How about the medical marijuana clinics handing out recommendations even under the slightest of pretenses? That's not what people thought medical marijuana was going to be. When trunk loads of pounds and pounds and pounds of marijuana grown in medical gardens by caregivers who are card stacking patient cards, when those are being seized on freeways headed east for profit, that was not what people thought medical marijuana was going to be about. When they see reports of gas stations and motels and apartments exploding because of the unlicensed production of hash oil. That's not what people thought medical marijuana would be about. They didn't think that medical marijuana meant their neighborhood would be smelling like a pot garden because the guy is growing 90 plants in his backyard and lighting him up with floodlights and razor wire around the fences and barking pit bulls to guard them. That's not what people thought medical marijuana would be. People didn't think medical marijuana meant pot festivals in the park where the proponent of the festival, who is a major medical marijuana card provider, would have people on stage exhorting people to smoke pot just over there outside the park grounds. That had something to do with it as well. In other words, the restrictions coming on medical marijuana have a lot to do with reigning in medical marijuana, nothing to do with what's going on with recreational. Here's what they're planning to do. The growers of medical marijuana would have to establish an online account with the health authority to file a monthly report on how many plants they have and how much they transferred to dispensaries. Not an inspect, just an online form to say, hey, I grew six plants, I harvested 10 pounds, I you know, sold five of it to dispensaries. That's not too onerous. If you're growing for more than two patients or people living off your property, you have to track your pesticides and fertilizers, name the products that you were using and so forth. Isn't that something we ought to be asking for medical marijuana patients to be able to know whether their stuff has pesticides on it? The one many people are upset about, the plant limits. In a residential area, you can only grow 12 medical marijuana plants. In a non-residential area, you can only grow 48 medical marijuana plants. That's right, folks. I was saying only 48 plants is what they're complaining about. But wait. If you already have one of those large, large grow sites that's more than that, you can get grandfathered in and have 24 plants in a residential area and 96 plants in a non-residential area. That's right. Medical marijuana people are complaining that two dozen in a city and eight dozen in the country are too few plants. They got rid of the residency requirement. And that, again, had a lot to do with that headline about the biggest garden being for 104 California patients. Now, I think that's BS. I think anybody should be able to be an Oregon medical marijuana patient. But it's not surprising why they put that residency requirement in there. Measure 91 didn't do that. They now have to go through legal authorization for water rights since now it's a commercial operation. You can grow medical marijuana and sell it to dispensaries. You're subject to the same water rights rules as commercial producers and round-the-clock camera surveillance with video backup for two years. Well, that, I think, is a little asking a little much, but they can get waivers for that. You can't handle the truth! And the truth is, what they're proposing for Oregon's medical marijuana would still leave Oregon as one of the top states for the most access, the most plants you can grow. So when medical marijuana keeps saying the sky is falling and this will destroy the program... Nobody believes it anymore, even though some of it is actually true.
1: Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
0: You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. As it relates to my brother, there's one thing I know for sure. He kept us safe. Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
6: Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends.
3: Visit mjba.net for more details.
0: Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining.
3: Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at the land of enchantment, the great state of New Mexico in the American Southwest, which uh, could shortly join the other states that are planning on legalizing marijuana in this country and possibly lock up the entire West Coast and Southwest for legalization by 2020. Currently, of course, uh, Washington and Oregon uh, have legal marijuana. California and Arizona are likely to be voting on it in 2016. And so the next state up would be New Mexico. And according to the latest information from the Santa Fe, New Mexican, the idea of taxing and regulating marijuana for adult personal use is supported by more than 60%. Of the residents of New Mexico. This poll was just released yesterday, and the pollster from Albuquerque, his name's Brian Sanderoff, found that 61% of those interviewed support legalization of marijuana for adults 21 or older, including 40% who strongly support it. So any initiative moving forward in, in New Mexico would begin with a base of 40% support and would only increase from there. Only 34% oppose legalization, and that's 25% who are strongly opposed. So strong opposition to legalization is just 25% compared to strong support for legalization at 40%. And this isn't just limited to Santa Fe or Albuquerque, you know, the urban areas. This is happening in all regions of the state. The southeastern Las Cruces area, 66%. The north-central Santa Fe area, 63%. The metropolitan Albuquerque area, 63%. Northwestern New Mexico, 58%. And the most conservative areas of the state, eastern New Mexico, still have 56% support. There is not a place in New Mexico that doesn't register strong support for marijuana legalization. As uh, Senator Jerry Ortiz y Pino A Democrat from Albuquerque said, it's not just ex-hippies in Taos. It's not just people who read The Nation in Santa Fe. It's not just University of New Mexico students in Albuquerque. He is currently sponsoring two separate proposed constitutional amendments in New Mexico that would legalize marijuana for adults over the age of 21. New Mexico is one of the medical marijuana states. But uh, Ortiz Pino says legalizing, regulating, and taxing non-medical use of marijuana, treating it like alcoholic beverages, could generate 20 to $60 million for the state government. And this is uh, going to be very helpful for New Mexico. Their revenues have been down because of the falling price of energy, uh, oil and natural gas particularly that uh, have dropped in price and hurt the state of New Mexico for its production uh, of those uh, substances. Uh, Ortiz Pino's got a joint resolution number five that would earmark revenue from marijuana taxes for state's Medicaid and drug and alcohol programs. His joint resolution number six would put the revenue in the state's general fund and the support for legalization in New Mexico is strongest among men people under the age of 65, Democrats, and independent voters. However, nearly half of those who are self-identified conservatives and over two-fifths of Republicans say they support the proposed legalization bill. So not up to majorities among Republicans yet, but a growing number of Republicans and conservatives who are seeing the handwriting on the wall. They're recognizing that the government's futile war against a plant cannot be won and I believe the money angle is having a big uh, impact on a lot of these people's views. When they see those returns coming in from Colorado, from Washington state, $200 million in tax revenue, there's not a state legislature in this country that can think seriously about passing up that kind of money. Now, one of the problems in New Mexico, however, is that Mex- New Mexico does not have citizen ballot initiatives. And that's why Ortiz Pino has to uh, put these forth as joint resolutions because the legislature can put forth amendments, referendums, and then the people would be able to vote on them. And the reason he has to go that direction rather than taking it through the legislature is because Governor Susanna Martinez, the Republican governor of New Mexico, is an avowed marijuana rep- opponent. She would veto anything. That would get onto her desk, even if it made it through the New Mexico House and Senate. He did get a legalization amendment out of the Senate Rules Committee last year, but then it never got heard by the Senate Judiciary Committee. And Ortiz Pino does admit that despite the fact that over three out of five New Mexicans support what he's doing, it's not likely he's going to get either of his measures passed. The Senate, where he's at, might get it through, but then it would have to go to the House and the House is controlled by Republicans in New Mexico. Last year, there was a bill for legalization. A representative from Las Cruces uh, put that forth. It got five committee assignments and was tabled in its very first committee. So there's all sorts of roadblocks in the New Mexico legislature that are going to prevent any movement here for uh, marijuana legalization. But it continues to increase. In 2013, it was 57 percent support for legalization, 2013, and now we're up to 61%, support continues to grow, and support for the state's medical marijuana program is sitting at 71%. So we are seeing an increase in support across the board for all marijuana reform in New Mexico. I think it's highly likely in the next five years we see some movement in New Mexico, and it joins the rest of the Southwest in legalizing marijuana. All right. Stay tuned, folks. Coming up next, we've got the Prince of Pot himself. Mark Emery is joining us for the first time on the Rest Belville show. Very excited. Stay tuned for that. And then at four o'clock, we've got Kevin P. Saunders calling in to try to convince you to vote against the Sean Parker initiative in California because truly legal, true legalization would be better. And uh, he'll get eight minutes to make that case.
0: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Bellville Show. Normal
3: stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs.
0: The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life, conservative and liberal, black and white, straight and gay, rich and poor, and everyone in between. Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult cannabis prohibition in our Cannabis Community Chat. Welcome back, everybody. Really excited to get to this cannabis community chat because joining
3: us by telephone from Freedom in Vancouver, British Columbia, is the Prince of Pot himself, Mark Emery. Mark, welcome to the show.
4: No, oh, it's nice to be on the show, Russ. Uh, I, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time.
3: I've I've been a bigger fan of yours for a longer time. <laughs> so we'll have the mutual love session here. Um before we get started, Mark, I know you've done a lot of interviews with a lot of cannabis outlets, and you've probably answered every marijuana question there is on the planet. So let me start with a different question. As a bass player, who are some of your influences?
4: <laughs> well, you know, I actually had never picked up an instrument in my life till I got into uh, Yazoo Medium Federal Prison, and I was surrounded by brilliant musicians and prisons are generally filled with really quite intelligent people who are really have a real big problem dealing with drugs or alcohol and they do stupid things and they can be behind bars for a long long time And I was with guys who had 15 to 30 years' professional experience. They could all play the bass. They all knew each other's instruments. And the only reason they invited me into the band is because they liked me, because I got them a pile of music books from the outside. And I really cared about the music. So when they came to me and they said, Mark, we've had a change in personnel. We need a bass player. And I said, yeah. And they said, we think you should be the bass player. And I said, I've never picked up an instrument in my life. And they said, listen, how hard could it be? Well, you and I will work on it three or four hours a day, and we'll have you ready for the next show in six weeks. And I go, the next show in six weeks, I'll be ready. And he says, yeah, how hard can it be? It turns out he was right. I ended up doing about 200 songs over three years, did 14 shows and became uh, a reasonably good journeyman bassist, but actually, I had never known a single bassist before them by name. I, wow. I, could, om- I could tell you a lot of bands, and I can, I, I, I've written rock and roll trivia games with thousands of questions, but uh, the, and the people who influence me, I can't begin to play like Geddy Lee plays the bass and sings for Rush, yeah. and I would love to be able to do anything that he does on that bass, but it's just not happening. I, I, don't, I haven't mastered my scales as dexterously as a guy who's done 10, 15 years of playing. And you know what? Uh, there were a lot of things I enjoyed about prison. Uh, that's a unpopular thing to say, um, but I had nearly five years of quality thinking time in prison, and I as, a, as I'm a person who can really enjoy that. So I learned how to play bass guitar. I was in a band. I practiced every day. I read a book every ten days. I had twenty five magazine subscriptions. I did a Sunday New York Times crossword every couple of days. I got all the respect from all my fellow inmates. You know, there were often like two hundred guys in a unit. And I never, I rarely ever heard an unkind word said to me in five years by any of them. I got along well with all the cartel members. Black guys were great to me. It really helped that Wiz Khalifa wore my free Mark jersey while he did a video <laughs> rolling joints throughout the whole video. Snoop Dogg gave me a war an award, in, uh, the Good Guy of the Year Award in 2014. Um, and if Snoop Dogg gives you a shout-out to Mark Emery in prison, then you're going to be golden amongst the black guys there. Um, I... You know, I had a lot of epiphanies in prison. And uh, for me, it's an experience that worked out really well. Um, I see all perspectives now much more readily than I used to. Um, I listen to people of differing points of view more readily because uh, prison teaches you patience if you learn the lessons properly. Sure. And so I have a much better ability to learn and be humble and listen to everybody's point of view and try and find some common ground. And I was able to do that in prison a fair bit.
3: That's amazing. Now, Mark, you go into prison. Uh, Stephen Harper is prime minister. Canada is in the middle of its George W. Bush phase. America hasn't yet legalized a state. We've had a few failures at that time. Flash forward five years later, you get out. Canada's electing a liberal. We got four legal states. What's your perspective on how fast things are changing now?
4: Well, we have the, as Mister Gladstone would say, we have the tipping point uh, reached, and now we're we're seeing the momentum downhill. Um, as people raced out outdo each other. Now, Colorado is probably the best thing to ever happen to us since Proposition 215, which is probably the all-time best thing to happen to our movement uh, in 1996. And of course, I was spending time with Dennis Perone when he got raided, and that was such a wonderful moment for me. I, I love Dennis. He's a great guy, and he was very instrumental in getting Prop 215 passed. And It was wonderful that I was with him at the time. And uh, But when I heard Colorado got raided, people say, did that make you feel bad? I said, no, it was the best day I had in prison the next day. When both Washington and Colorado legalized, and John McKay, my prosecutor, campaigned with my wife Jody, both in British Columbia and in Washington State, uh, to urge the legalization in both jurisdictions. When you can get that kind of thing happening, then you know your side's winning. When my wife is uh, doing press conferences with the guy who prosecuted me, and he's changed, and we haven't. That's, that's yeah. the surest sign of success. But I've got so many like that. The guys who raided me in the early part of this century, uh, Cash Heed, the drug inspector for Vancouver, he's now working for the medical marijuana industry. All the previous mayors who had me raided in Vancouver now all support legalization, including the current mayor. And the one that had me arrested five times in the 1990s. Uh, everywhere I go, people are coming on our side, and we're not losing anybody to the prohibitionists. So, you know, and I felt this momentum for the last 15 to 20 years, but now it's reached critical mass and is happening very
3: rapidly. Yeah. You know, you made mention of Jody and I actually had the opportunity to meet Jody at various events like the Seattle Hemp Fest and some gigs in Texas and so forth. And, you know, I look at it as the American prosecution of you just created two amazing activists. Uh, Tell us how you feel about Jody and, and what she's been doing all these years while you were in prison.
4: Well, she did a great job while I was in prison. She took over the Prime Minister of Canada's office for an entire day and faced down a large battalion of police that came to evict them uh, from that, and they negotiated that they would stay until 6 o'clock and then surrender peacefully and get out. Well, no one's ever taken hold of the Prime Minister's office in Calgary like that. And and we have huge, wonderful pictures with free mark banners all over the interior and exterior of the office. I mean, real ballsy stuff like that. She, as soon as I was... uh uh, delivered to the American border. She took over streets in Vancouver and led impromptu parades and blocked up traffic and created a real lot of noise. And she was great. You know, she visited me 82 times in prison. Mm-hmm. And 82 times alone is about 164 days of travel. And it would take her about 15 to 16 hours to go from Vancouver to get to my prison. And it would take that long to get back. So she spent about uh, 160-some-odd days of her life visiting me, which is five and a half months, and she spent 160 days in transit. Mm. So uh, literally five and a half months of her life was spent in travel uh, to come and see me and to come home from seeing me. Wow. I mean, that's amazing dedication. But, you know, we've had problems since, not serious problems, but she got used to doing everything for four and a half, five years. And I come home, and I want all my authority back. i want to make all the decisions again. And I want to, you know, and I'm dropping my clothes around the house like, you know, some senile person. And then she's reminded that, oh, Mark's back, and, and I have to readapt to the way it once was long, long ago. Because five years is a long time uh, for someone her age. She's only 31. And, uh you know, she was just amazing, and I'm so grateful. I got support from everybody. I'm a really lucky, blessed person. At no point did I ever really feel hard done by in prison because I was getting letters every day. Over five years, I get 7,500 letters, wow. mostly from Americans, by far and away from Americans. And one fellow in Holland, Michigan, Len Preslesnik, sent me a letter every day, and not just a letter telling me what was going on in Holland, Michigan, which sounds like a wonderful little town to be from, but he would tell me, he would send me music biography eggs. He would send me photocopies of magazine articles every day. So I got this nice package in the mail with 10, 20 pages of photocopies, book reviews, cartoons, uh, even the latest blues musicians that were playing in his community every day for four and a half years. That guy on a disability pension would go to the library and photocopy stuff and send it to me every day. Mm. And that is just, and we'd never met before, we've never met since, and it's just the most remarkable thing. There's so many wonderful Americans around. Um, If you really think about it, it's enough to make me think that the sane Americans are still in the majority, not like the people you see supporting Trump, (laughs) whom you get the impression are kind of voicing the anger of the common American. But I don't believe that America's really like that. I hope not.
3: Well, thank you so much for uh, your optimism. We're speaking with Mark Emery, publisher of Cannabis Culture, uh, the man behind Pot TV. You know who Mark Emery is. He's the Prince of Pot. And Mark, you know, you and I uh, ended up kind of on an island in 2015 with our support. For Ohio's Issue Three, and it's been
4: that was a great initiative. It's not just oh, hold, vote for it, holding your nose. That was one of the most creative, interesting, and fascinating offers to the public I have ever seen on a ballot. And that is a much bigger tragedy than people are willing to concede. That was an awesome idea. With a thousand stores all selling weed, you can have you know four ounces yourself. Medical marijuana would have been cheaper than any other state in america and more accessible um, the idea that ten people are going to grow all the weed doesn't bother me at all why should it bother anybody why do we care if you're still growing illegally you'll still be able to grow illegally but now you've got ten massive property lots that would have been growing exclusively all that different kind of cannabis which could have ended up in all those stores which would have given everybody an unbelievable choice and it would give them a taste of partial freedom so what if it's not total freedom people buying weed in stores a thousand stores in ohio would be very liberating. Medical marijuana people facing the the most inexpensive medical marijuana in the United States would have been very liberating. It would have been very liberating that everybody in Ohio of any kind could have carried around up to four ounces. There were so many good things in there. Who cares who are making the money? That's what kills me. Why do we care? As long as we get weed uh, at the lowest possible price in as many different varieties and as many different locations that we're allowed to carry around and take home and take anywhere we want in our car without harassing from police are you kidding me it's probably one of the most favorable uh offers to the voters i've ever seen on any issue whatsoever
5: well it's
3: part and they
4: blew it. It, it our people especially john Wershafter, i'm really upset with him um uh, to, for a community leader to turn on his own uh issue and his own people like that and basically what they're doing is they're supporting the black market in other words the black market dealers all got together and said hey we're not in on this right and uh and so we're gonna we're gonna our fight against this because we don't get to uh, be part of the spoils that are involved and overlooking all the fabulous good things that that initiative would have brought, and all the curious experimentation that would have been going on. I mean, it would have been awesome to have 10 different property groups growing marijuana, renting it out, doing whatever they want. And it's it, the fact that people are saying it's a monopoly means they don't understand politics. The government invariably on its own will give out monopolies of a much more restrictive variety than what was proposed in that initiative. That was a fabulous initiative, and I'm disappointed that Normal and MPP and a whole bunch of others did not get behind it and see all the good that was in there. And the bad isn't really worth considering because it's no worse than anything that we've got now in Ohio. So I was vastly frustrated by that horrible betrayal by some of the so-called activists in Ohio. And I call them traitors and I would refuse to ever have anything to do with those people ever again if I had an opportunity to work with them. I wouldn't because they cannot be trusted. They are putting some hidden ulterior motive above what's good for the movement, what's good for the people, what's good for the people of Ohio, and what's good for the cannabis culture in Ohio. And therefore, they should be eschewed and shunned.
3: Mm, You know, this is a a trend we've seen since uh, Prop 19 in 2010 through the iPhone And that was sabotaged
4: by our people, too, just like the anti-502 people were trying to sabotage it in Washington as well. And how terrible it would have been if we didn't pass Prop uh, 502. Or for that matter, you know, Amendment 64 in Colorado, and it's a terrible tragedy that Prop 19 wasn't passed in 2010, and we've been paying for it ever since. Look at the chaos we have in our uh, dispensary system in California, with dozens of them still continuing to be raided and intimidated. That was a terrible failure by our growers in Mendocino, Trinity, uh, the Emerald Triangle, not to come to the uh, support of the movement. That's because money has corrupted people. You know, if you're making prohibition profits, it's very hard for that person to fully. Support uh, legalization, knowing those profits will evaporate over time, because legal marijuana means cheap marijuana, and uh, that's what we're hoping to see in Canada, because we don't have municipal or provincial regulations against pot, we just have a federal law, and that's about to be
3: rescinded. Yeah, that we're looking forward to that, and again, folks, we're speaking with Mark Emery from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, CannabisCulture.com, and Pot.TV, all sorts of great outlets where you can find Mark's uh, work. And Russ,
4: did you notice that there wasn't one argument in the no on Three campaign, I never heard anything that ever made sense to me. All I heard is saying, oh, we don't want to turn uh, the weed industry over to corporate corporate monopolies. And I thought, why do you care? You've got monopolies everywhere in America. Gas monopolies, power monopolies, train monopolies, postal monopolies. What the hell do you care if somebody's got a monopoly? As long as it's everywhere, it's legal, and there's incredible variety. Why do you care? And there was never any good argument to that. They didn't have one. With all the benefits that this offers, why do you care? who's going to make the money on the weed? You can still make money on weed if you still grow it at no greater risk than you're doing now. It was utter sabotage and betrayal. Ah, I'm yeah. so upset about it still.
5: <laughs> well, you
3: know, I, from my perspective, Mark, I grew up in Idaho where we had two strains, got some and don't. And there was always a monopoly. <laughs> he was called the guy. And he charged yeah. me a higher tax than anybody in illegal state's ever charged me.
4: Yeah, and it was all sketchy. If you ever had anything good, you could never get it a second time, too, because he was sold out and... <laughs> Oh, man, you know, in the 1980s, I lived in Ontario, which is in central Canada, and we could never actually even find Sensimia marijuana. In the whole 10 years from the 80s that I was buying pot, I would end up buying weed oil because I could get that. I could get, uh, you know, hash from some French Canadian. But, you know, people don't realize how spoiled we are. And how do we get spoiled? We get spoiled because activists put things on ballots and made change happen that set into motion a tremendous worldwide movement that we're starting to see the fruition of now. If it weren't for Colorado, Washington, and Prop 215 in California, the rest of the world would be way further behind than it is. Uh, and America has been greatly influenced by these wonderful ballot initiatives. And even when they're flawed, they still produce such great return for the movement that we can never turn our back on any initiative that improves where we are today.
3: So do you have a a deal breaker, a flaw in an amendment that would cause you to not want to vote for it?
4: Yeah, if more people go to jail or get punished than they did previously, then I would be against that. But that's the only criteria. Any uh, initiative that uh, reduces the number of people who will be arrested, uh, lowers the price of pot, increases access to medical marijuana, these things all have to be supported. And uh, I've never seen an initiative proposed that was worse than the status quo. I mean, why would someone do that anyway? Why would someone put a couple million dollars of their money, like good old Richard Lee? I felt terrible for Richard Lee in 2010 when our own people sabotaged him. And even in prison, I got these letters saying, what is Richard Lee's real motive? What is he trying to get by doing this? And I had to write back, are you an uh, idiot? (laughs) I mean, you're a friend of mine by writing me a letter in prison, but are you actually out of your mind to think that Richard Lee donate a million dollars of his own money for some ulterior motive where he's going to make some big profit when it's legal. Are you insane? I had to deal with dozens of letters like that. Just idiots who didn't make any sense at all, suspiciously cynical about the motives of the people who are proposing the initiative. And this is happening with Sean Parker, too. Oh, what does he get for? What is he he out for? The man's trying to make change, and he's trying to do it in the most pragmatic way possible. End of answer. Right? And yet, most of our people are politically illiterate. They don't vote. They don't understand how government works. They don't understand how separate parts of government work. State, provincial, uh, local, federal. They don't understand these things. And so in their ignorance, they say, oh, don't vote. It only encourages them or, you know, all sorts of ridiculous, idiotic things that we saw in Ohio where ignorance just took over the campaign and, and ultimately sabotaged, uh, issue three. So, you know, our people are ignorant. They need to be educated. Russ, you do a terrific job. You're logical. You're incisive. You're, you, know, you're, you make sense on all the issues you talk about. You've got tremendous amount of experience going around the country talking to people, and you've seen what I've seen. There's unfortunately a number of assholes in our movement that will hurt us rather than help us if given the chance.
3: Oh, Mark, uh, you said it better than I ever could. Thank you for saying so. And you know, I also want to make sure that we get a uh, proper focus internationally here on what's happening in Canada now because the you know, election of Justin Trudeau and the latest I heard, he was worried about the he was warned about the treaties and all that ah, the,
2: yeah. the treaties are
4: easy to get out of it takes you six, you just have to give six months notice you can get out of the treaty, get out of those treaties for a variety of reasons, also I'm not sure the treaties are even enforceable or relevant because look at Colorado and look yeah. at Washington, look at Uruguay and the Netherlands and, and now Canada, it's not like the UN has threatened to uh, you know, kick Canada out of the UN if we make pot legal. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. It doesn't really matter what the federal government wants to do. They're going to legalize it eventually. But what that's really done is it's rapidly accelerated the number of people willing to go to jail to open their own dispensary. I just posted on my Facebook page that the little town of Port Alberni, hell, I think that place only got about fifteen to 20,000 people, has five dispensaries now. Um, little places like uh, Nanaimo have 12 dispensaries. Victoria, British Columbia only has a quarter million people, has 24 dispensaries. Vancouver, has over 100. Toronto has about 35 now. And there's a new one being coming on every day. I talked to a woman who has a, a dispensary called the Farm Assists. Two words there, Farm yeah. Assists. In Halifax, and she's been arrested multiple times and gone to jail four times. And she keeps reopening it. They don't close. right? Uh, my friends Chris Goodwin and Aaron Goodwin got arrested, jailed, and they're still keeping their business going in Toronto called Goodweeds. Um, Canadians, fortunately, are used to going to jail And we don't mind going to jail to make a point. And by the end of this year, there will be 1,000 dispensaries across this country. And they're all illegal, but people are getting used to buying from them and shopping at them and going there. And uh, we keep reopening. Nobody's closing permanently even after they're arrested because we don't believe that the courts are going to uphold the prohibition at any level. And so Canadians are really nicely, civilly disobedient in order to make this happen. So uh, I'm telling you now, there'll be 1,000 dispensaries operating in this country by the end of this year, and there'll be no way to, to return to the old days prior to that.
3: Yeah, it seems pretty unstoppable. And I think that's where the, the folks that I've termed, you know, true legalizers differ from us, is they seem to think that the question now isn't whether we legalize, it's how we legalize. And they somehow seem that, seem to think that if you legalize it the wrong way there's no going back from i don't know corporate dominance or whatever
4: well invariably we will legalize it all the wrong way the right way is to make it all legal whatever everybody's doing now is legal so pay your taxes and keep the peace and carry on that would be the end of it my my ultimate initiative would be one sentence long all laws prohibiting and punishing cannabis are hereby repealed there you go that's it that's the perfect true legalization but politics isn't like that no. I've never seen politics like that in all my life. I've run for office 12 times. I've been arrested 28 times, seen 34 jails and prisons. I've been a candidate. I've organized campaigns. I supported the liberals in this campaign, and we were very effective in helping getting young people to vote for them. But all that having been said, it's a dirty, compromising business, and it's something that is never perfect. It's always imperfect. But we're working towards perfection, and it's going to take my lifetime and maybe a few more lifetimes of other people. I often point out that after we ended alcohol prohibition, in Canada, and we did have it briefly, it took about 67 years, 60 or 70 years to get legalizing alcohol correct, so that now you can buy it in a grocery store or someplace, and, and we have interprovincial distribution of craft beers and small things, and you can grow, you can have beer in your basement if you want, you can make, you can brew wine or brew beer and, and make wine in your basement. All these things took about 60 to 70 years after the ending of alcohol prohibition to get those in place. So things don't happen slowly in the political world, and even though we're we're moving in, a, in an era with all this momentum for cannabis legalization. It's always going to be imperfect, but is it better than what we've got right now? That's what politics is about. Is it better than what we've got right now? And they always are. Why would somebody put $2, $3, 4000000 to reinforce the status quo? It doesn't make any sense. Why would activists you know, gather signatures? Why would we volunteer? Why would we make it happen? Why would we show up to vote? Every legalization chance we've had on the ballot in Canada, And the United States, we did have one attempt here in British Columbia, but the ones that made the ballot in the United States have all been big improvements. Everybody's standard of living is better there.
3: Mark Emery, you're one of the first, uh, you know, one of the pioneers on the online world for, you know, pot TV and in the print world with cannabis culture. And now it seems I can't turn my head without seeing a, a new show and a new magazine and a new uh, website. Well, the a, magazines are doomed
4: because there's no future in print. Let me tell you this. I don't even handle magazines in my store anymore. And that was my original thing, Cannabis Culture Magazine, but people aren't buying them. And so all the people who are buying advertisements in them, aren't people aren't seeing those because people just don't pick up uh, pot magazines anymore. And there's too many of them. There's like seven or eight or nine or ten of them available in North America. And very few of them are circulating any numbers worth paying for those ads. And same with online. I still, to this day, and I sell ads on my websites, and they're very well-watched all that. but I don't remember anything I've ever bought by seeing an ad online. And I later, uh, lately, I went over, how do I buy things in my life? What influences me to buy things? And it's word of mouth. It's how close it is to where I live if it's on the way home if it's got a good reputation all these things i find but i don't find those in advertising online so i i think the whole business of advertising in the modern world is going to have to go through a real rethink because i don't think it's effective and i understand the point of view newspapers need to pay for everybody that's getting a pension the printing a paper all the people work for them, tremendously expensive so they need to pass those costs on in their advertising but the value you get as an advertiser is not there but with the money you pay, and that's the big crisis print media is going to have. It costs too much to advertise in them for a diminishing return, and it's going to have a big impact on the cannabis uh, market, too. And it's also a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to be the first to report the news, not the one that reports it most accurately or incisively or the greatest enlightenment. So we're seeing a rush to be fast and not necessarily thorough. Anyway, all those things are great challenges for journalists in our culture in the future and uh, publishing and blogs and podcasts and online, uh, you know, commercialization of our movement. It's going to be interesting.
3: Yeah, it's an amazing future that we're just right on the precipice of. It's exciting to see it happen. And I'm so glad that you you are out of prison to be able to see it.
4: And breaking the law like crazy, too. People say, you must be tired of going to jail. I said, no, I'm ready to go now <laughs> because we're selling, we're selling dabs. We've got pre-rolls in our place. We've got weed bong rips for sale in our lounges, and it's to anybody over 18. It's not a medical thing, so we're trying to pioneer new ground in Canada. So we have one of the few lounges that actually sell to anybody in the public, American or Canadian, that come in. And it's all really good stuff, and it's all illegal, as it always has been. And so, you know, I could get you in jail anytime soon again, but that's all right. I'm looking forward to it.
3: <laughs> get another chance. Maybe pick up another instrument.
4: Uh, well, no, I'm going to up <laughs> the ante this time. No, I, I'm pretty sure that if I get jailed for pot, I will refuse to eat uh, no matter what, certainly. I'm just not going to eat in there. I want to up the ante. I've gone to jail 34 times. I'm used to that. Jail doesn't scare me. But I need to make it uh, a bigger risk for the state to arrest me and to stop what I do. And that's just, and besides, I need a wow ending for the story of my life for the movie they'll make down the road. So I figured that would be a good one. And I would love to challenge the liberal leader, the prime minister, because I've smoked pot with him, though he denies it. And he's generally a very good good fellow and what have you. And I, I know him reasonably well. So I'd like to put the ball in his court and say, go ahead,
1: kill me. (laughs) <laughs> mm. my goodness
3: now for this uh, this biopic of your life any thoughts of t- ha- as to who you'd like to have play you in that movie
1: ah uh, yeah you always pick
4: the big budget guy so whenever somebody thinks about who would play me in my life they're thinking oh Sean Penn would be great or Johnny Depp or <laughs> something like that but you know it'll likely be Jared Leto playing John Lennon kind of thing the low budget before he gets famous <laughs> you know he plays John Lennon for $100,000 or something like that because let's face it I mean the, 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 there's five movies about me already in documentary form and the most expensive was three quarters of a million dollars budget, which was kind of completely wasted in a way. But, you know, typically when they make a movie about me, it'll be a TV movie of the week and it'll be all unknowns. And that's fine by me as long as they get the story right.
3: Hey, if I get a vote, I'm picking Edward Norton. That's all I got to say.
4: Ed Norton would be great. Yeah. That be great? But, he, but he's probably three to five million. A movie,
1: yeah, yeah. You know,
4: and uh you know, Woody Harrelson had probably, uh, uh, you know, was interested in buying the rights, but that guy still makes two to three million a movie now. He does six <laughs> a year, so he can't afford to produce any films. Yeah. I need a person who isn't famous at all to produce the movie, but because that's the only thing that you know, he would have time to do that. He would devote his life to it. Really famous people, they they, they got so much going on the go that you know, I, I don't think they could get to it for five or ten well, years. But anyway, that's all. That's yeah. all speculation. It's it's, it's, it's arrogant and egocentric. A-
3: and and it's, we are out of time. We're up at. The- against the back of the hour but mark emery thanks so much for a lively discussion and for all your support i can't tell you what it means to me thank you so much russ, wonderful to be on bye all right bye-bye stay tuned we got kevin saunders coming up next to tell you to vote against legalization in california stick around and until next time take care of each other tokers
0: this is the russ Bellville show the Rust Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com.
1: You take a scene,
6: you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you small again. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you small again. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you small in. And it goes down to hair.
5: Hey, this is Freedom. Yes, Freedom.
0: Nine, of it. Plus your calls, live at 971-533-7111. Freedom.
5: They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the animal man and Snoopy, Snoopy poop dog.
4: What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory does work. It's a reality.
6: Holland, is it real? Don't tease me.
0: Here we are, folks.
3: It's my last hour at Rolla-J Studios in beautiful Legal Potland, Oregon. This is it, the last hour here before I go out on the road on the Legalize America 2016 tour, also known as the Fill in the Back tour. I'm Radical Russ, coming to you live and direct. And uh, man, I'm just over the moon right now. We just concluded an extended interview with Mark Emery, uh, the Prince of Pot, one of the foremost marijuana legalization activists of all time. Uh, and he couldn't have been more complimentary. I I will take that to the grave, Mark. Thank you, man. That's just everything you had to say just made this all worthwhile. I'm so excited right now. And I'm also excited because we've got a guest coming on next. Uh, Kevin P. Saunders is on the line. And uh, he is here to basically rebut me. Uh, We've been going back and forth on Facebook for a long, long time. And the basic difference is that I support legalization in the form of the Sean Parker Initiative, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, that uh, has the money and the polling and the backing and the pros and could legalize marijuana in California and change the world. And Kevin disagrees with me on my points of support for the adult use of marijuana act to the point where he wants you to vote against it, that you should vote against the adult use of marijuana act in favor of instead voting for or supporting one of the other acts that are out there that aren't as well-funded, don't have any polling, lack signatures and so forth. So we've been going back and forth on this and he's been taunting me and challenging me to a debate you know, you know. I demand, Let's debate this. I'll show you. You know, like a lot of rhetoric like that, right? You you can look at my feed and read it for yourself, and that's fine. I you know that's why I'm here. <laughs> the whole point of this show is a talk show, right? Where is to, is to have discussions, and I love strong opinions. I don't like being called names, and 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 let me be clear. Kevin has been absolutely a gentleman through this thing. For the mo- yeah, I'm gonna say it. No, no qualifiers. Been a gentleman through this whole thing and kept it on topic. And uh, so I've been waiting to uh, hear from him, right? And I keep pointing out time after time after time that I have a live talk show. And every day from four o'clock to five o'clock, I have a phone line that you can call 971-533-7111. And you can debate me. You, you don't have to go on Facebook and put these all caps posts of challenging me to debate. I'm here every day. <laughs> I'm paying for bandwidth, a phone line, and an audience for you to come debate me any day. But I kept saying that over and over and over again. It's like any weekday, four o'clock, call in any, day, any weekday, call in four o'clock. Never called in. <laughs> so finally, I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm just saying any weekday and it doesn't feel special somehow. Or I don't know if it's just a call in, then it's like talk radio. And, and to be fair, he's called in before and we've had discussions, but we've had it talk radio style where, you know, I'll, if you try to say something that's BS, I'll call it and we'll, you know, we'll discuss it like talk radio, but I can understand that might be intimidating. I can understand that. So here we have Kevin Saunders live eight minutes uninterrupted by me to have him make his point, Kevin. When you hear music again, you've got 45 seconds left.
0: Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. And you're live.
2: Thank you, Russ, for that. I uh, really enjoyed listening to uh, Mark Emery, who is uh, a hero of mine and a hero to uh, a lot of people here in the United States and obviously very popular in Canada. And uh, I share his um, uh, feelings uh, about you, too. I'm uh, a fan. I've been a fan for decades. Um, I considered you my voice. Uh, Growing up as a a big supporter of normal, and I really appreciate how you look out for the consumers in your uh, position and the platform uh, that you've created for yourself, and I just think that uh, I wish people would show more respect to you and to uh, activists in general and keep this debate civil and not use such hyperbole and platitudes because at the end of the day we all want the same thing. We want people to come home out of you know cages and we want uh, fair taxation with uh, low income subsidies and good quality. Good quality medicine. And I just wanted to thank you for giving me this opportunity and uh, for for your kind words. But I really, really want to tell you why I think that you were not only wrong about Yes on Three in Ohio, but why I think that you're wrong about the OMA, the Sean Parker initiative to legalize uh, marijuana in 2016. My first beef is obviously it's one ounce and six plant possession and plant limit. That is not only um, uh, not sustainable for people who juice, but it's also very difficult for people who live in apartments, which under the OMA would be banned by their landlords from growing, and in some cases, possessing, but let's just say you lived in 90% of California, which is rural. This law states that in those counties where essentially you have no neighbors or neighbors that are far, with economies that are below the poverty line in some cases, that you would be limited to six plants. And this is on top of the bans that are going on as a result of the California League of Cities. So it's impossible for six plants to be enough medicine for people who count on this especially our low-income folks who can't afford dispensaries. So when you have one out six plants, that may have sounded good in 2010, 2012, but we're at warp speed, and we have now had an opportunity to learn from Colorado and Washington and see those Victorian, draconian policies where the sky is falling not come to fruition. We see freedom growing. We see prosperity. We see medical refugees moving, home prices going up, dormant real estate on the rise, crime rates going down, schools being funded. That's, that, that can happen in California, but it needs to happen right in California. We are the pioneers. We are the example for the world. We are the eighth largest economy in the world. We are now in our fourth generations of some growers. Hezekiah Allen, the executive director of the Seminole California Growers Association, a fourth-generation Humboldt farmer. These are the kinds of people that we have leading our movement now, and it's grown up. And the OMA is not representative of the values that I believe that Californians, whether you're in Humboldt or San Diego, all the way out to Tahoe or Cody Bass is, six plants, one ounce is not going to do it. You also, under OMA would have essentially a ban on public smoking or in automobiles. Some people walk, exercise in parks. They would not be able to smoke a joint vaping banned. People live in their automobiles, some in trailers, campers, vans. Some people, unfortunately, have to live in their sedan. Some people would just be driving with their friend, no open container, none. So while you think bans are being scaled back, new laws are being created. That's new revenue for prisons, more revenue for cops under a reefer madness mentality. The taxation rate, 15%, even for medical patients. They're exempt from the 7.5 sales tax, but 15% excise tax, which is essentially a sin tax that our low-income people at SSI, people on Medi-Cal would have to pay. I already mentioned that landlords can ban possession and growing. It just doesn't seem like this is the proper way to go forward. Let me talk about the second major beef that I have, and that's the criminalizing Like anyone, let me repeat, anyone in possession of over one ounce of flour or eight grams of concentrate or six plants. So that means you're driving down the street and you have two ounces on you, two ounces. You could be charged with a misdemeanor. Now, some people will say, oh, it's a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. Well, a misdemeanor, if you're on probation or you're under CPS, scrutiny can be a real big deal. You could be in jail for two weeks before a hearing. Plus, a misdemeanor is a $500 fine up to a year in jail. If you're in a punitive county or you're on SSI, that $500 could be the difference of eating or not. You also have a rule where it makes people between 18 and 21 susceptible to violation. At the same time, we want our 18-year-olds to shy away from alcohol. We want to educate these young kids before alcohol takes root. We want to establish them as cannabis consumers, not alcohol consumers, and leave a bad taste in their mouth. Even with an infraction, a infraction or criminal record between 18 and 21, they could fight in our wars at 18. And then that leaves me with the minors. Why not leave it a family affair? Why give these kids who already have enough time with lead poisoning and their parents in jails or addicted? low income. Why burden them with an extra infraction? It doesn't make any sense. Use that money for education. At, at, the, at the most, make them attend an education class, but make it a family affair. Like I said, vapes, restricted. Large cultivators, they say, are banned for five years. But then what?
1: Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
0: The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns.
4: Most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go.
5: Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hudson, Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King Guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King Banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com.
0: It's not your father's Woodstock weed (laughs) This is the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com
3: Welcome back everybody 16 and a half after the hour and my thanks to Kevin Saunders for calling in and becoming the first person on the Russ Belville Show to have an entire activist agenda segment uninterrupted I hope you're all timing it. It was exactly eight minutes from the end of the intro ramp to the end of the outro ramp. So eight minutes. And now Kevin's calling back again, but I'm not going to answer Kevin because you've had your say. You had eight uninterrupted minutes. This is something that, you know, talk radio. That's you don't get that. That's like, if you are on the air, two minutes on a talk radio program with the host talking back and forth, that's a pretty uh, stellar accomplishment, but you got eight full minutes to explain to everyone why they should vote against the Sean Parker initiative. And I want to respond to the points, but I also want to make this constructive. Okay. Because you sound like a great guy. You sound like a nice guy. I think we've met in person and I'm sure you want legalization and you want it done the right way. You're, you're honest about it. I don't see you as having a, ulterior motive for you know your dispensary or whatever. No, you seem to be like an honest guy. Like a lot of people out there, I'm sure, that are thinking, you know, I'm going to vote against this Sean Parker thing. So I want to be helpful uh, because if you're going to try to convince people to vote against legalization, I want you to have the opportunity uh, to do so in the best way you can. So some tips. First, if you're going to get an eight-minute platform on a major media platform, distribution, if you're going to get eight minutes on a major platform, make those eight minutes count, have notes in front of you, have your points ready to lay out and practice beforehand so that you can make a quick, succinct explanation of your point. You know, and there's the old three T's, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you just told them, right? So you want to reinforce your narrative and have easy sound bites for people to remember. Okay. So that's one thing. Another thing is to, you know, I appreciate the compliments for myself. I appreciate you complimenting Mark Emery and all that. But that whole compliment setup, you wasted 25% of your time on it. I was timing it. You used two minutes before you even got to the meat of your argument. So, you know, next time you get a shot like that, you know, you can say, you know, Russ, thanks for having me on. I appreciate your work. I've always admired your work. But here's why I disagree. Bam! You've said it in 15 minutes, 15 seconds, rather than two minutes, and you're ready to move on to the meat of your arguments. Right now, I took notes, and I seem to have your problems with it. Is it's only one out six plants? It's not 2010 anymore. We can move at warp speed. Uh, it bans public smoking and smoking pot in automobiles. It has an open container law. It has taxes. And it criminalizes possession over an ounce and eight grams. And kids end up with records, I guess, or something like that. So I want to address all those points. Uh, I've heard this from other people that are opposing this uh, adult use of marijuana initiative. And I'm also going to make my points as to why it is imperative that we support. And I also want to compliment you on not... Pushing the MCLR or the CCHI or some other initiative, but stuck to just why you should vote against Sean Parker.
2: What is the main food that penguins eat? Spam? But I don't
3: like spam! Happy 420, everybody. It's my last 420 at Rolla J Studios. It's kind of bittersweet. Not as bittersweet as this joint of Durban poison, but bittersweet nonetheless. Be right back with more on the Sean Parker Initiative right after
0: this.
6: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Fuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Voober Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Voober way.
0: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment.
0: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
5: We all know that prohibition was a disaster. It forced alcohol into the underground market where it was controlled by criminals, and consumers did not know what they were getting. It made us a nation of hypocrites and lawbreakers. Marijuana prohibition has caused a lot of the same problems. That's why most Vermonters agree it's time for a more sensible approach. Tell your state senator it's time to end prohibition, and start regulating marijuana in Vermont.
0: Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. (laughs) This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome
3: back, everybody. 23 after the hour, and uh, I want to take this time now to have my little segment of uh, the Russ Belleville Show to discuss uh, Kevin Saunders' points that he made during the eight-minute activist agenda. So the majority of the objection, remember, the first two minutes was, you know, intro and then the next about three and a half minutes. And see, you got to understand that this is how I see debating and discussing things because I do a live talk radio show every day. I am constantly watching every second that I am speaking. It's amazing, man. I go out to gigs. You say how long, you know, "We, we need you to do a speech. I just say how long. Five, 10, 15, 40, an hour. It doesn't matter. Whatever you say, I can talk within an, a minute and a half of that time without even looking at a clock. That's how long I've been doing this, right? So I, I have to, I have to confess that giving Kevin the eight minute segment was partially, I was doing it for myself because I think sometimes people don't appreciate what it takes to just talk by yourself to people with no feedback. <laughs> it's, it's not easy, is it? So anyway, so the biggest, the biggest opposition that came up in his discussion was one ounce, six plants. It's only one ounce, six plants. You can only have one ounce and six plants. So that made me look up what you can currently have in California. I mean, when I say what you could currently have, I mean, me Russ Belville, an adult who might go to California. So I'm looking at normal's page on the laws here. And it says that if I have less than an ounce on me, that's a ticket. I get a hundred dollar ticket for that. So I don't understand why having an ounce where I don't get a ticket is worse. See, when you're trying to make a case to vote against the adult use of marijuana act in California, You need to convince the listener that it's making things worse. And so anybody who knows what's going on in California has to go, well, wait a minute. I can get a ticket for an ounce now. Legalizing an ounce is making it worse. Then you have to go to this cultivation part, right? It's only going to allow six plants. It's only going to allow six plants. Well, what's what's the law now? How many plants can I have now? Oh, oh, cultivation, any amount, felony, 16 months to three years. Hmm. That sounds worse than six plants that are legal. Sounds like it's worse now. And if I voted for this Adult Use of Marijuana Act, I'd get to grow six plants. Now, of course, Kevin's objections aren't coming from you or me who are adults who might be in California and want to smoke marijuana and grow a few plants because then the rest of it is all the, the corollary as to why we disagree with one ounce and six plants, because it wouldn't be enough for juicing. Uh The uh only six plants would be not enough to produce medicine for the patients, but see adult use of marijuana act is about legalizing marijuana for non-patients. California already has a medical marijuana law that legalizes whatever it is that you guys have in California. And the Adult Use of Marijuana Act doesn't change anything about the Medical Marijuana Act. In fact, in numerous places, it indicates that it is not intended to change that part of the California Health and Safety Code. So you can't use the medical argument to say one ounce and six plants aren't enough because That's not what they're setting as a limit for people that are non-medical. Medical's got its thing already. There's the um, complaint that the landlords wouldn't let you uh, grow or possess within, um, within their properties. But that's the case right now, isn't it? Isn't that the case right now that someone can ban personal possession of marijuana because it's a crime. See, you can't argue that something that recognizes a landlord banning something is bad unless landlords are currently letting that happen as if that's legal now and it's not. So that doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Um, Rural counties, rural rural counties where you have no neighbors, you could just have six plants. Yeah, because the law is going to say adults can have six plants. How many can those rural people have now? Zero, because it's a felony now. Now the point that an ounce and six plants might have sounded good for twenty ten or twenty twelve, but now we're somehow. Living in warp speed, Colorado and Washington have passed an ounce and six plants. Well, Washington hasn't passed six plants. They still have criminal grow penalties, but that we should be able to move farther and faster at this point. So the fact that we might move from California being illegal to being as legal as the current four states, actually more legal than Washington state, is reason We don't want to go that far forward because we should go farther forward in that first step. We should keep things as bad as they are now and not have them as good as they are in four legal states because they should be better than the four legal states. If we can't be better than the four legal states, we should be worse than the four legal states. I don't understand that reasoning. Kevin made the point that it needs to happen right in California. Legalization has to happen right in California cuz California will dictate how other states end up legalizing. I don't buy that. I don't think I think no matter how you legalize in California is not going to affect how Georgia legalizes. Every state's going to come up with their own thing. They're all going to be laboratories of democracy for the time being. I heard the same prediction with Washington's I-502. It would set a precedent of a five nanogram per se and no home grow. And nobody else followed that precedent. So, yeah, California is big, but we tend to get lost in all the minutiae of the regulations and exactly how it's legalized. When to the broader world out there, the 80%, 85% of the people who don't have anything to do with pot on a monthly basis, to them, it's was legalized or it wasn't. It either got legalized or it didn't get legalized. What else? Okay. So um, the problem, another thing he brought up was a problem that it has a ban on public smoking, a ban on public smoking. So that made me wonder, so that's making public smoking illegal and it's legal. Now you can legally publicly smoke pot in California. Now, no, no, that would be an infraction with a hundred dollar fine. So that's the thing: is you can't make these points about how bad the legalization would be, unless. Well, I'll get back. I'll I'll get to that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that to the end. Let me save that to the end. Let's go on with debunking the rest of it. So uh, another argument was that there'd be a ban on public smoking or in automobiles. People wouldn't be able to take walks, exercise in parks. Some people live in their cars, trailers, or RVs. Some people might be just driving with their friend and get busted for having an open container. Are you seriously making the argument that we have to reject marijuana legalization because we can't smoke pot in a moving car? Really? That beyond not just standing up to to logical scrutiny, it just defies political reality. The, The attack ad against that is so easy. It's laughable. Well, they don't let us have open bags of weed in the car. Don't let us smoke in the car. Why? Let's keep it like now where we can't have open bags of weed in the car and we can't smoke in the car. That can't be an argument against legalization. Folks, You're going to have to grow up a little bit and accept that legalized marijuana does not mean anywhere, anytime, for any reason, by anybody, for any purpose. Not yet, anyway. I'm with Mark Emery. I'm with Mark Emery that the perfect legalization, true legalization, is a one-line amendment to a constitution that says all laws prohibiting cannabis are hereby null and void. That's the ultimate goal. On that, we agree. That's our destination. But the problem with the true legalizers and the stoners against legalization is this view that the a journey of a thousand miles either has to be done right now, a thousand miles, all in one move, or we don't move at all. Taking a single step, that won't do it. <laughs> and I I it's just it it's just stunning to me sometimes. So no open container, no, you're not gonna be able to have an open bag of weed in the car. You're gonna to have to do the sensible thing, keep it in a closed container, put it in the trunk, or locking it in a glove compartment. Or putting it behind the farthest back seat. Oh no. Oh no, tyranny. <laughs> Come on now. And then and then this little part usually gets twisted by some of these folks gets a little twisted where they'll say, ah, see, well, no open container, but the only kind of container you can possibly have is a container that comes from the store and it's already sealed at the store. And then if you take it out of that container and, and then if it's, if you only have your homegrown in a Ziploc baggie, that can't be a store container because a Ziploc can open and close. So it can never be sealed. So it'll always be an open container. And if you ever have a baggie on you, then you're going to go to prison. (gasps) Ah, Jesus. I mean, the, the lengths they'll go to To try to frighten you about this. First of all, what happens to you right now if you have a baggie of weed on you in a Ziploc baggie and you're stopped by a California State Patrol and he finds that baggie? Right. You get a ticket. (laughs) So what changes? I don't understand. So, um, another complaint was the 15% excise tax. It's a sin tax. The low income and the SSI people will never be able to afford it. Let me tell you a story about taxes. I've been living here in Portland, Oregon for 13 years now. Okay, Now, Portland, Oregon and the Pacific Northwest in general tend to have the lowest weed prices in the nation already. So I'll admit that's a confounder for what I'm about to say. However... When I got here to Portland, Oregon, I wasn't already embedded in the marijuana movement. I didn't already belong to Oregon normal. I spent some years before I was a part of the activist community here. And in those years, I had to buy black market weed. I wasn't I didn't know medical patients. I wasn't at all. I was still completely black market dude. And I had to buy weed here in Oregon. And it tended to be if I wanted to get a half ounce of weed, It was 160 bucks, 160 bucks, a half ounce, 320 would be the ounce price, but probably 300 an ounce, right? Add the extra 10 as you cut the bag, as usual, 160 a half ounce. That was 2003, 2004. In the interim, we legalized medical marijuana, you know, the dispensaries of medical marijuana, Washington had medical marijuana, and I got embedded into the medical marijuana scene and was able to buy and, and seaweed at dispensaries. I was a caregiver for a long time, could, could buy weed. And the price for a half ounce, 140 to 150 bucks a half ounce. Still at the black market levels that I was always paying for weed. Now, in Vancouver, Washington, after legalization, with... Huge outdoor sun-grown marijuana fields in production. I just bought a half ounce of sun-grown, inspected, pesticide-free, labeled 24.87% THC Durban poison for $70. And that's with a 37% tax attached to it. Because legalization and large-scale commercial growing has flooded the market and dropped the price to the lowest prices I've ever seen for weed. 70 bucks a half ounce of quality weed, and there's half ounces going there for 60 bucks of different strains. So, okay, there's going to be a 15% excise tax on weed. But there's going to be such legal production going on that the overall price will drop to the point that where even with the 15% excise tax, patients will end up spending less money on cannabis. All right, let's see. What else do we got here? Um, Kevin made a point that the Adult Use of Marijuana Act criminalizes anyone in possession over one ounce or eight grams of concentrate or six plants. Criminalizes anyone in possession over one ounce or eight plants. Now, the use of the verb criminalizes criminalizing tells me that he thinks adult use of marijuana act does that, that somehow adult use of marijuana act makes people criminals over an ounce or eight grams. Let's take a look. Current California law, more than 28.5 grams misdemeanor, six months, $500 maximum fine hash and concentrates possession, any amount one year, $500 Five hundred dollar fine. Now let's switch over to this other window where I have the Adult Use of Marijuana Act hyperlinked, and we can take a look at the section that he's referring to because this is within the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. It would be Section Eight, Criminal Offenses, Records, and Resentencing, where Sections eleven, three hundred fifty-seven, three hundred fifty-eight, three hundred fifty-nine, three hundred sixty, and three hundred sixty-one point five of the California Health and Safety Code are amended. Starting with possession, section eleven three fifty seven, except as authorized by law, possession of more than twenty eight and a half grams of marijuana shall be punished or adjudicated as follows persons at least eighteen years of age, but less than twenty-one years of age shall be guilty of an infraction punishable by a fine and not more than one hundred dollars. So eighteen to twenty one you get a fine and a ticket, which is oh looky here, it's what you get now. Um if you uh, are caught with marijuana. So it doesn't change that for the 18 to 21 year old. Let's see for the persons under 18, the minors, um, four hours of drug education and counseling, 10 hours of community service, uh, second or subsequent offense, six hours of drug education, 20 hours of community service. So for minors possession of less than an ounce, not a crime at all, drug education and counseling and community service. So it doesn't make it worse for the kids. All right, let's see. Um, Except as authorized by law, possession of more than twenty eight and a half grams of marijuana shall be punished as follows. Persons eighteen age, eighteen years of age or over who possess more than twenty-eight and a half grams of marijuana shall be punished by punished by imprisonment in the county jail for a period of not more than six months or by a fine of not more than five hundred dollars or by both six months, five hundred dollars fine. What's the law now? Oh, yeah. Six months, five hundred dollar fine. So Adult Use Marijuana Act doesn't change that at all. Let's see. Part C. If you're over 18, you possess more than an ounce near a school. Upon the grounds or within a school. Um, Let's see. A fine. $250 fine. Let's see. uh, Under 18 who possesses at a school. um, Mandatory. Uh, community drug education, community service. Let's see this one. Um, 11358, planting, harvesting and processing. People 18 to 21 who plant up to six plants get an infraction of a hundred bucks. So if you're under 21, you're getting a ticket. 18 and older who plant more than six plants get six months and a $500 fine. If you plant more than six plants, you get a six month $500 fine. Well, what's the law now if you plant more than six plants? Oh, yeah. Felony, any amount, 16 months to three years. So the Sean Parker Amendment actually makes it better for people who are growing more than six plants, a.k.a. the illegal weed dealers out there who are growing a whole bunch of plants in their closet or their basement, who, if they're caught right now, are in possession of felony amounts of plants if they're caught. After Sean Parker, they're in possession of misdemeanor amounts of plants. Six months, $500 fine. Now, multiple grow offenses. You get caught more than once. Yes, it goes back to the felony. 16 months, three years imprisonment. 16 16 months to three years. But again, no worse than it is now. What else we got here? Um, Possession for sale. If you're over 18, that's six months, $500 fine. Possession for sale right now, felony, two to four years. Oh, okay, so the Sean Parker Amendment makes that one better. Okay, what else we got? Uh, Possession for sale. What else we got here? Okay. Oh, if you're uh, unlawfully importing, selling uh, two to four years prison time for repeat offenses... Right now, if you're selling any amount, two to four years time, <laughs> so it's still the same. Ah, What else? No, nope, that's pretty much it, folks. Uh, the Sean Parker Amendment either makes things on the punishment side, makes things better or makes them no worse than they already are. Yeah, I have trouble understanding it, too, folks. When we come back, we'll uh, wind this up and uh, I'll cover a couple of other stories that are going on here in the marijuana movement. If you missed my interview earlier today with the Prince of Pop, Mark Emery, it'll be available on my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash radical Russ. Or you can get it on my iTunes podcast. Just look for the Russ Belville show on iTunes. you can find the podcast feed there. And of course, available on demand at CannabisRadio.com.
0: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com
0: You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election
5: year. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines.
1: Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state
3: The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Husson Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King Guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King Banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com
0: and reverb.com. Warning, it's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 46
3: after the hour and... Uh Reading some of the chat room up there at CannabisRadio.com, Sean McDowell makes a point about Section 26052, the licensing chapter of the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. And he's claiming, anytime any of my competition decides that they don't like I sell my weed cheaper than they do, I get a ding on my license and possibly revoked. So let me just go to the uh, the unfair practices section here, as I've labeled it. 26052. Paragraph A, no licensee shall perform any of the following acts or permit any such acts to be performed by any employee, agent, or contractor of such licensee. Subparagraph 4, sell any marijuana or marijuana products at less than cost for the purpose of injuring competitors, destroying competition, or misleading or deceiving purchases or prospective purchasers. I think the operative term there, Sean, is at less than cost. Now, if you can come up with great growing techniques and harvesting techniques and trimming techniques that allow you to produce marijuana at a lower cost than your competitors and then sell it at that lower cost with some profit markup for you, you're not going to be subject to that subparagraph. It's only if you're selling the marijuana at less than cost. If it costs you 25 bucks an ounce to grow it and trim it and process it and you're selling it at 12 bucks an ounce, that's where you're going to get hit by that. This is a practice that they engage in the large scale producers. This is like a Walmart thing where they will take the hit. They'll, they'll go ahead and crash the price of something below cost, purposely trying to injure their smaller competitors who can't take that hit. And then once those competitors are out of the way, now they can raise the price up to where they want it without all those pesky competitors fighting them, right? It's a way that the large-scale producer can actually squeeze out the small-scale farmer. You want this in your law to protect you from the Walmart of weed. That's what it was there for. That's what it's intended for. And this is something that we have. In just about every market there is and every commodity there is, there's some sort of price gouging, price crashing type of legislation. That's what I think's going on with this. Maybe there's business people out there that know better than I do, but I think that's what they're trying to do. It's the at cost thing we got to worry about. Yeah. If it was a law that said you, if, if you're selling it less than someone else and they bitch about it. Yeah. I'd be against that, (laughs) right? That would, that would suck. But no, they would have to prove you're selling it at less than cost. And I don't think they can pull that off. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, uh, Michael Hughes, an attorney who's in our uh, chat room, says there seems to be an intent requirement to injure. Uh, as long as it's not the intent to injure competitors, it'd be kind of a tough clause to enforce. Yeah. And, and that this happens a lot of times. And believe me, I, you know, I, I'm not perfect in this. I've made these mistakes myself as I learned reading laws. Right. It's like. You'd think you could just say X, Y, and Z is legal, PD and Q are illegal, let's go, right? But law is a weird thing, man. A may versus a shall, a comma versus a semicolon, an Oxford comma or not an Oxford comma, that kind of shit can change profit margins for lots of people, right? It gets really complex and nitty gritty. And sometimes, that's why I always tell people when you read one of these laws, first of all, or initiatives, first of all, understand that they often have a guide that'll tell you what parts of the initiative are the new law versus what part of the initiative is what the law already is, but they just had to tell you that anyway, right? Like, uh, you know, if a really crazy example would be like, uh, I've got an initiative to legalize puppies, right? And I and my initiative says, this initiative will legalize puppies. Murder is still illegal. Rape is still illegal. Robbery is still illegal, Right. My initiative isn't making murder, rape, and robbery illegal. It's just reiterating the fact that those things are still illegal, right? Well, in these, in writing these pot initiatives, sometimes you have these parts that are, here's where we're changing. And then you have these other parts where they have to include what the law currently is so that you get the perspective of in what part, you know, what paragraph is the law changing compared to the other paragraph. So sometimes people read these things and they'll read something that's currently the law. And they'll think the initiative is doing that. No, the initiative is just reiterating what the law is. Now, it, it, it varies state to state. Um, some of the states, the, the standard is that you have to put in italics, right? What the, what the new part is. And then the stuff that's not in italics is the old stuff. Other places, it's boldface where that's the new stuff and it's regular where it's not the new stuff, right? So you have to learn that first of all. And then second of all, you got to learn what the law is currently. When you read these initiatives, like, and it says something about you can't lower the price to injure competitors. Well, what, what are the laws currently with respect to other things, right? Is this really out of the ordinary? You know, I have to do that a lot because I'm not really a business guy. I don't know a ton about business. So when they start talking these business terms, sometimes I'll go, well, what's the law with alcohol? What's the law with, you know, avocados, whatever, you know? So those are, those are some things to consider. As you're reading some of this stuff. Now, also, uh, before I forget, remember this is our last show at Rolla J Studios. Um, I will be coming to you from Herb Thrasher Studios, 420 Radio's Herb Thrasher Studios, over next week, maybe the next two weeks. So I will be in Portland, I just won't be here at this location. And then um, Valentine's weekend in San Francisco at the ICBC. And from that point on, probably in Phoenix for a while. So hit me up on Radical Russ on all the social media or Gmail. And uh, I'll keep in touch about where I'm at. Maybe we can uh, have a sesh one of these days. Because you know I'm not going to be packing it while I'm traveling. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back for the final segment right after this.
0: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak.
3: Midnight, July 1st, 2015. Adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon. Immediately, over 400,000 adults who consume cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals. This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland, Oregon.
0: Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. Arr, har, har, har. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Five minutes to the
3: top of the hour where you get to hear stoner Jesus. That's right get yourself saved while you got the chance stoner jesus coming up at the top of the hour here on cannabis i'm just closing out this final segment here in this basement studio in northeast portland a lot of memories a lot of great guests have been in this studio uh both on my show and the herb thrasher flower hour and uh just some amazing uh amazing media we put out here and it's uh kind of sad, kind of sad leaving this area but it's tempered by the fact that I am so excited for 2016. I I have just like this is this is the year, man. This is where the big the big tidal wave crashes all across America and acceptance of marijuana comes into full flower in a way pardon the pun, in a way that we've, you know, never experienced before. The elections the presidential elections being forced to have to address the issue of marijuana the five states at least No, six we got florida with medical now we got we got california arizona massachusetts and maine likely to make the ballot nevada's on the ballot florida is on the ballot for medical missouri's fighting for medical michigan's still fighting for a legalization initiative vermont is trying to do it through their legislature we got nine states in play for 2016, and I'm going to go across this country, state to state, not just Colorado, California, Washington, Oregon, the typical places, but Kansas and Nebraska and Michigan and and West Virginia. I want to try to hit all 48 states this year. I don't know if it's going to be possible, but anything I can do to make that a reality, I'm going to try to do it because this legalization is for all of us. This is for all of us in this nation, in this country. And we don't have to just be in a blue state or a green state for that to happen. It's time to mobilize flyover country. It's time to mobilize the South. It's time to all get on this bandwagon and crush it in 2016. Just crush prohibition. Just end it. Before these weak-kneed politicians start to get second doubts about it, before, God forbid, one of those Republican clowns gets elected and tries to reverse the whole thing. Let's just bring the hammer down, legalize it as much as we can everywhere we can in 2016. I'll see you on the road, helping you do it everywhere and every way I can. For everybody here at roller J Studios in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, one last time, thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, Tokers!
0: This is the Rust Bellville show. The Rust Belleville show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com.
1: You take a
6: seat, you plan it, you grow it, you giant, you roam it, you go in. You take a seat, you plan it, you grow it, you giant, you roam it, you go in. You take a seat, you plan it, you grow it, you giant, you roam it, you go in and it
2: goes down soon.
3: Drugs. Growing plants indoors can be a rewarding hobby, but electricity...